Good morning, everybody. So, uh, if you don't know me, my name is Paul. I have the privilege of uh, leading the, the team that oversees New Life Community Church. And it continues to be an exciting season for us together as we uh, learn to be what it is as a one church family meeting across different locations in Wimborne, currently in Wimborne and Fallen Bridge. Today, we are continuing our DNA series. Uh, these are anchor points for us as a church family regarding our like, vision and identity and culture things that are written into the heart of who we are and what we do. It's been really interesting, actually, some of the uh, prophetic contributions that have been coming this morning. And I think, that, you know, hopefully, by, by the grace of God, they feel like they will align nicely with, hopefully, the direction that we're going this morning. So I think at the start of this series, we used the analogy of a 100-meter a, a uh, sprinter. When you uh, watch the Olympics, you'll notice that in this race, each sprinter has a set of starting blocks, and they are a foundation for each runner at the start line to enable a more explosive start when the gun goes off. Now, for us at NLCC, these starting blocks that have been shaped and molded for us, these are, have been done according, or for our feet, according to the theology that we value and God's prophetic words that have been spoken over us. The first few starting blocks that we've looked at together are the vision that we hold as a family, that as a church that we have a hunger to see many people's lives transformed by Jesus, to be a local church that pioneers and helps establish new communities of believers, and to provide love and support for those who struggle with life's challenges. And if you've missed any of those, let me encourage you to have a listen online. Beth, who's currently not here, is one of our fantastic administrators. Or Joe, wave your hand, Joe. They can point you in the right direction to gain access to those preachers. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at um, blocks regarding church identity, who we are. And today, we will start by looking at hope. We have a, a strap line as a church family. This is like a one-sentence summary which speaks of the confidence that we have together as God's church. But it also sets the expectation for any one person who walks through that door on a Sunday or who you bump into during your week. New Life Community Church is made up of people who have found hope, family, life and acceptance in Jesus. Finding something is about discovery. You know, like when you put your hand down the back of your sofa and you discover that month-old biscuit or that lollipop now that's been embedded into the material. Or discovery can be like when you clean the inside of your car and you find the couple of pound coins. And no one carries cash anymore, do they? Oh, but there was that joy when I used to clean my mother-in-law's car that you'd come, she'd say, whatever you find, you keep. And you come out with a tenner at least, wouldn't it? Pound coins found all over the place. That's like a, a life-winning moment. Jesus puts discovery like this in a parable that he shares with those who have come to listen to him. And it's much, much better than finding your moldy old biscuit down the back of your sofa. Matthew 13, 44 says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. 
Hope is a starting block of gold. And for those who are part of the NLCC family, it is a treasure that has been discovered, something worthy of forsaking all other things of first importance to you because you have found something greater. And this treasure, this hope, it's not an abstract or conceptual thing. It's not just a thought or a feeling of optimism. It is rooted in something tangible, something real. It's rooted in a person. Our hope is found in a person. The common word used for hope in the New Testament is the Greek word elpo. And the meaning is slightly richer than probably what we have in our dictionary. And it means to anticipate with a joyful expectation, with a joyful confidence or assurance. Its starting position is looking ahead, like the sprinter who lifts their eyes to look down the track, and it lands a lot more certain than being just optimistic. You know with a degree of certainty that you can finish the race well, perform well, and get excited about what might occur beyond the finish line. I spent some time thinking about how hope sounds an awful lot like faith, and to a degree that's true, but I do want to help us understand that they differ, and how they differ is important. So faith is the conviction of what you believe, and though external evidence might support that conviction, it's not necessarily required. Hope then springs from that faith. Faith deals with the now and enables you to hope to look and look ahead, to joyfully anticipate and expect with confidence based on what you believe. So in keeping with that sprinter race analogy, you are convinced that you are the best runner in your class. That's your faith. That faith might be supported or strengthened by your understanding. That the external evidence, your training, your physical and mental condition, your previous races, they lead to support your conviction you are the best runner there. Hope then springs from this faith, not just being optimistic. You know, I, I hope I can win this race, but with a greater degree of certainty. Because of my faith, my conviction, my understanding, I have a hope, a greater degree of certainty that I can win. So it's not just an optimistic hope that you might be happy at the end of the race, but an assured joy, a confidence that you'll be very much content with the end result and look forward to it. At the heart of New Life Community Church, written in its DNA, is our faith, our conviction, our confidence in the person of Jesus Christ. It is because of our conviction of who he is and what he's done that leads us to hope and an expectation, a joyful confidence and assurance of what he is going to do. This is the treasure that we have discovered, the treasure that is worth forsaking all other things of first importance and our sets our sights ahead that we may run this race of life and run it well. And so before we spend some time looking at those things we are convinced by and confidently look forward to, 
I would like to ask you a question. How's your race of life going? How's your race of life going? Now, I appreciate then when you're asking that type of question, the level of response will be different for many of us, depending on the season that you're in, in the joys, the challenges you are currently facing. But in response to this question, I'd like you to narrow into those foundations. Have you considered your starting blocks, your convictions? Are you able to consider where or in who you have placed your faith in? Have you also considered the impact that has on your hope? And with that in mind, are you able to look ahead with a smaller confidence toward the finish line? I don't know, it may be that you've never really thought of any of those things. It may be that you're here today to just do that. But um, if you are, then let me encourage you to say that this, that's a, this is a safe and secure place to do so. There's no doubt then that your starting blocks, your faith, your hope will have a huge impact then on how you run and how you cope with all the elements that can have an effect on your race. So let's look at that foundation block of faith and the person in whom we, we as a church family have rooted that faith in, starting with Jesus. If faith is about the now and is informed by history, we are going to look at the person of Jesus Christ, the person in whom we have placed our confidence, the person in whom we take bread and wine together, to remember, we are going to briefly look at who he is, what he has done, and we are going to use Colossians chapter 1 in the Bible as a reference. So if you have your, your Bible with you, I'm going to turn to Colossians chapter 1. If you haven't got a Bible, there's a great app called Bible app. <laughs> it's about as simple, just literally type Bible into the Google Play Store or Apple Store and it's by Life TV. That's a great app. Or there's Bibles around on the tables or on the chairs that you can grab one. Or if you're confident enough, just lean over someone's shoulder. Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to read together from verses 15 through to 23. Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 23. And I'm reading from the ESV. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. If you want to understand what God looks like, acts like, behaves like, then we look to the scripture and its recorded history regarding Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 gives us this this marvelous insight into the strength and beauty of relationship between God the Father and God the Son. It so pleases God the Father that Jesus the Son is the physical representation of the Trinity. Part of the mystery of who God is and how he operates is unraveled quite wonderfully in the person of Jesus Christ. Starting with the servant nature of God. Matthew 20, 28 tells us, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. So often, the physical actions of Jesus spoke into spiritual realities. When Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, he is showing them through his behavior the type of cleansing that can only be accomplished through him. Jesus says to Peter, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Now, of course, there are multiple ways in which Jesus could have shown them that truth, but he chooses to do so in a way that demonstrates humility in washing the disciples' feet. It is no small thing that Jesus does, and yet it is just a glimpse into the lengths that God will go to restore relationship with you. He is pointing toward his death and reaction, death and resurrection, the length he has gone for you and I. And it is a behavior that he calls us to imitate. Small actions, small actions that convey mighty spiritual, spiritual truths. Every time you serve, have you seen um, Bruce Almighty? There's this wonderful little moment where Morgan Freeman, he grabs the brush, doesn't he? And he's just wiping the floor. And he says, there's nothing quite like a good little bit of honest labor. You can learn a lot from that. Small things convey mighty spiritual truths. Every time you serve, it is no small thing. When you get the chairs out, when you help someone hold a a child, or you're willing to do something for someone else, that's just, in your mind, might be a small thing. But in that moment, you are conveying a mighty spiritual truth. I'm not sure, I mean, you don't, I don't think you have to wash people's feet in order for that to happen. That should be an encouragement at least. Every time you serve, it is no small thing. I serve because my Savior served and still serves today. So through Jesus, we see this wonderful servant-like nature of God that he calls us to imitate. In the book of Revelation, we discover the authority of God through the king-like nature of Jesus. Revelation 19, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. 
On his robe and on his thigh, he has his name. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is not just one who serves, but does so despite the enormous amount of authority that has been given to him. Jesus shows us what it is to be king-like. It is not just to be making decisions from a distance, but to be one who is among his people. He knows them and is known by them. In one breath, he can command heavenly armies, and in another, he can speak words of comfort and counsel to those in his kingdom. The servant and king-like nature of Jesus are not mutually exclusive, but they are bound together in an understanding of who God is. He is both servant and king, which should teach us something about what it is to imitate God when we hold an enormous amount of authority. With the authority that you carry, whether that be in the workplace or in the home, or be imitators of God in his servant, king-like nature. Verse 17 says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So verse 16 to 17 help us to understand that Jesus is first. Uh, firstly, he is first. And also, he is creator and sustainer of all things. And so, Scripture shows us that Jesus' power and authority and influence, this servant and king, is not limited to a particular time or series of events, but actually operates way beyond the scope of his time on the earth. It stretches and reaches beyond the existence of time itself when, Genesis 1 2, the earth was without form and void. All the way through to our future hope in Revelation 21.5. Behold, I am making all things new. Jesus' servant king-like nature is not limited to a particular time, place, or series of events. It operates way beyond the scope of his time on earth. Stretches way back and presses ahead to the time when he makes all things new. And lastly, in, in verse 18, it tells us, And he is the head of the body the church. He is the head of the body, the church. The church is the body of people who have placed their faith in the person of Jesus Christ, and it is Jesus who is the head of this body, the creator and sustainer, the servant king. He is the one that we look to to lead us as a church family across the nations and here locally. We look to his perspective, acknowledge his authority, marvel at his servant heart, listen to his thought, and lean on his communication as one who is first in our lives. So that is the image that briefly speaks into who Jesus is, as one who is the image of the invisible God, one who is before all things, and one who is head of the church. Let's look at what Jesus did. Verse 22, it says, He has now reconciled, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. To be reconciled is to have a relationship restored or made right. You know, reconciliation involves a drawing back together by removing the obstacle that has prevented that from happening in the first place. Now, for many of us who know 
Jesus and have decided to put our faith and trust in Jesus, we know that this obstacle that prevented us from being reconciled to God is called sin. Sin is mankind's rejection of God, resulting in offensive behavior toward God. That stands as this obstacle between the creator, one who is holy, pure, and blameless, and in contrast, his creation in their disobedience, in contrast, are not holy and blameless. Now, to know God is to know something of his ways. He is not a distant God, one who stands on the sidelines and just watches. He, that is not the God of the Bible. His love for his creation compels him to be involved. His heart is for a relationship. So he sent his son into the world to be in the world and to die for the world, that this once-for-all sacrifice would make a way for mankind to no longer be alienated from God, that through him this obstacle of sin would be removed and would do the job of reconciliation for all who would choose it. It's exactly what we remember when we take bread and wine together. This is what Jesus did at the cross. He made a way for mankind to be made right with God. And Jesus shares this um, reconciliation story by using a parable involving a father and a son. The son chooses to leave the family home with his inheritance, and the father grants his request to go. The son, he squanders his inheritance, and he basically, he makes this huge mess of things. He wants to go home, but wonders how his father will receive him. So he begins. He starts the journey. And he plans to offer his services as a servant to the family home. However, when the father sees him in the distance, he runs out to meet him. Despite the shame of the son, the father covers the son in his robe, puts the family ring on his finger, and throws the biggest party to celebrate his son's return. And that's what it means to God. That's what it means to see his sons and daughters return home. And that is his behavior, no matter what they've done, to every single one who returns. All of that is possible because of what Christ accomplished at the cross. So faith is the conviction of what you believe about the now and is informed by history. And hope springs from that faith and enables us to look ahead down the track with joyful confidence. As we've looked at faith in Jesus, who he is and what he's done, we're going to finish by looking at hope in Jesus what he is going to do. In our race analogy, we are now looking ahead to the finish line. Philippians 3, pressing ahead, looking ahead to the finishing line. Hope allows us to get our head up and confidently anticipate what happens at the end of the race. And Jesus says to his disciples, and by default, all who have put their faith in him, John 14, 2, I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. 
And what we're talking about here, as Aaron was praying this morning, you know, what we're talking about here is eternity. The stuff that happens beyond the finish line. The time when the creator and sustainer servant king makes all things new. Jesus didn't come just to bring reconciliation between God and mankind, but he came to give that reconciled relationship a future, a future that would go even beyond the grave. And this is another reason why the resurrection of Jesus is important. God demonstrates his power to deliver what he says. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In the Bible, life after death and eternity is, is not a maybe. It's a certainty. The question lies with the quality of that life. In John 3.16, the eternal life is an assumed quality of life with God for all time. The other presumption is that no relationship with God is no life at all. And there is a reserved time when God will judge every man, woman, and child. They will be before him, and those counted righteous and in relationship through Jesus Christ will be with him, and those outside of that relationship will remain like that in the complete absence of him. In the Bible, eternity exists. Life after death exists. But that life without God will be far from quality. In fact, life without God will be no life at all. As the Apostle Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why, why is it gain for Paul to die? Because of his hope. Because of his hope to eternally live with Christ. It's a win-win for Paul. Live with Christ or live with Christ. The Bible gives a lot of indicators as to etern what eternity with God might look like. We won't go into that now. I will give you a one, I guess, a helpful one-sentence summary. In the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus is on the cross, a criminal also being crucified, alongside a criminal also being crucified, he recognizes the truth of who Jesus is, and he asks Jesus, says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Eternity with God, of all the things that it will be, will never short, fall short of being anything other than paradise. Can I invite the worship team to come back up, please? New Life Community Church is made up of people who have found hope in Jesus. Hope that is sprung from a faith conviction of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. A faith that allows you to look ahead with joyful confidence as to what is to come. Faith and hope are starting blocks of gold that enable us to run this race of life with confidence, knowing that no matter what may come, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Church family, I hope 
this will encourage you afresh regarding what it is, what is a significant part of the makeup of the DNA of this church family. An anchor point and starting block of gold that enables us to have an explosive start to the race that we run together. As we go ahead together, let's be expectant that this church family will be one explosive, dynamic, well-trained runner with eyes set ahead with confidence towards the finish line. The guys are going to lead us back into the place because what else could we do? Let's stand together, shall we? What else could we do but come back to the person of Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, the one who is before all things and the one who is head of the church. And if you're here this morning and you've not made that decision to follow Jesus, I would like you to consider where you have put your faith and what that means for your hope. The guy who wrote the letter, the Apostle Paul, he didn't come to the conclusion that to live is Christ until he had personally encountered Jesus for himself. In this encounter, he made a complete U-turn on his life so that Christ would become of first importance to him. And so my heart for you, if that's where you're at this morning, our heart as a church family for you is to encounter Jesus. And you can do that right now by coming to him and expressing your interest to personally encounter him. It's called prayer. And it's just a conversation. It could be as simple as this. Jesus, I want to know you. If you are really this treasure that gives such hope beyond the grave, would you make yourself known to me? Whatever it is, just be real with God wherever you're at. That's what the father does with the son who wants to come home. He doesn't just wait. He runs out to meet him where he is at. God will do the same with you. God will do the same with you. But do start the journey home. Do start the journey home. So Heavenly Father, I want to pray as we turn our ascension. It pleases you, Father, to make your son the object of your affection, the, the one who has all authority over all things. He is the apple of your eye, and it pleases you, this great servant king. And I pray that, Lord, your church family, our eyes would be turned to him now, that we would abide with him, and we would recognize this servant king-like nature the one who is the image of the invisible God. In Jesus' name, amen.